Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast, brought to you from our local church in the beautiful city of York in the UK. The message you're about to hear is from one of our services, which also feature great live music and relevant movie clips. These can all be found on our blog, so to make sure you're getting the full experience, feel free to head over to qyork.co.uk and select blog to find the relevant content. There's also a huge selection of talks and live music videos on our media page, as well as a donate button if you'd like to show your appreciation and enable us to keep producing free content like this. Finally, to stay up to date on new blogs and events at Q, you can sign up for emails by filling in your name and email address at the bottom of any page on the website. But right now, it's time for the message. Good morning. For those of you who don't know, my name's Claire, and um, welcome to Q. Um, and this morning, I... <laughs> decided to talk about love and relationships because that's a really small topic to fit in 30 minutes. Um, and actually, I'm really quite nervous today, I'll be honest, because it's such a vast and massive thing to talk about. I, I can't possibly really define it because I actually don't think love can be defined. I think it's like God, it's a mystery. Um, so, but what I am going to do is present to you some thoughts that I've had on it this week and, well, in, in my life and in my experiences, um, and touch really on how we can have loving connections in relationships. Um, and I'm actually going to start, would you believe, with a scripture. Um, from the message, <laughs> the, 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 the scripture of Disney. No, it's actually from an actual Bible, and it's from the message version. And it's about perfect love casts out fear. But I, I love how it's phrased, and it says, uh, God is love. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has run of the house, becomes at home and mature in us. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. A fearful life is not one fully formed in love. So when I talk about relationships and connections, I'm not just talking about like marriages or like your lifetime partner. It can be connected to communities, to your relationship with church, your relationship with what God is to you or spirituality in your friendships and family. It kind of can cover all of it. But a lot of what I'm saying might connect slightly more to relationship partners, you know, life partners, but you can apply it to all, I think. Um, and I want to talk about how we operate in our versions of love, and I use that term quite deliberately because I've come to believe that we all have a version of love that we live by, and this has developed over our lifetime thus far and is made up of all the moments and relationships and experiences that we've had that have aided our programming about understanding love. And following on from what Kev talked about last week, just to very quickly recap, uh, one of the things he touched on was how from birth to age seven, we are programmed. Um, we are like sponges and we take in so much. Um, and that programming can then kind of be a bit of a default moving forward for the rest of your life unless you start to live a little bit more consciously. 
And your subconscious, which is where this programming is formed, is what tends to be where we operate from and our norm. And unless we're actively trying to be, a, you know, change that, it's probably where we're going to default. So on that basis, we all have a version of love that we've been fed. How our parents loved us. This could have been controlling, unkind, manipulative, or, or it could have been caring and nurturing. How they showed love to each other, or your caregiver, you know, whoever brought you up. You know, was there a lot of conflict and anger and guilt or avoidance? Or was there laughter and open conversation? And also how love has been presented to us in friendships and the way we've been treated in those. You know, they can really form how we then behave moving forward because you might have got burnt or you might have thought, oh, if we act like that, I get, I get this. Um, you know, even in grief, uh, if you experience the loss of a loved one, grief can paint a picture of love for you as well, um, and how you move forward with that. And growing up in church, or like being part of a spiritual organization, you might have had a version of love that's been fed to you that you then carry through into your relationships. And in researching this morning, I've, I've read a bit of Jay Shetty's book, Eight Rules of Love. I've been listening to another audio book by this guy called Closer to Love, Vex King he's called. I've been reading Scott Peck's uh, Road Less Traveled, his chapter on love, and I've been looking at what Jesus thinks about love and what Jesus said about love. And what I found fascinating is that they all actually came to the same conclusion, that love has to first start with yourself. And only then can you expand that into your relationships and into, you know, other people. Sorry. Onto my next page. <laughs> Try not to rely on these as much this week. So, the key to sharing love, and not is not ex the key is sorry sharing love, and not expecting love, because often we come at love about what we can gain, um, and what we need to fulfil us. Because because of our programming, we might have got gaps that we think right. I want to try and feed that somewhere, but essentially all we can do is actually just feed our emotional baggage into our subconscious programming even more. And as Joel talked about in Learned Helplessness, we can form a like, learned helpless way of being loving and receiving love. And several years ago, I hurt my back. I've got a chronic bad back. And um, I, it was particularly bad, and I went to this Pilates clinic. And at it, um, I had this one-to-one -one session with her that, that did me a lot of good. And I was like, right, OK, so what I need to do is come to Pilates, because it will help strengthen me. And she goes, no, because you're not in alignment. If you strengthen yourself out of alignment, all you are doing is strengthening yourself. I have to do that for some reason. On a wonk. Um, and she said what I needed to do was practice another form called somatics, which is a real gentle build-up of healing myself and realigning myself. So then I could go on to strengthening my back. The point being... With our versions of love, we can essentially be strengthening ourselves on a wonk. Our experiences, griefs and hurts, and of course what has made us feel good and happy, have strengthened a belief that has formed, and we then filter in our relationships. And we feed from that version of love, and we build our relationships from that, and we can be strengthening, because we can be coming from a wounded place instead of a healed place. If you were guarded... That is what you will feed into your relationship. If you are untrusting, 
That is what you will feed into your relationship. We can view other people and our idea of love as something that will fix us and head into these commitments always needing something from the other person. And sure, for so long, that might fill that space and work, because when you're in liberance in the honeymoon period, it, it can feel good, and we can all like project ourselves in a way that we feel like we get what we need. But once that fades, once that fades, what happens and what comes through? And we can sometimes feel short-changed, short because we feel like the contract we've made with someone wasn't quite what we signed up for. And do we kind of seek love as almost a bandage over a bullet wound? But just like my bad back, we need to get back to the heart of the issue and understand how to build relationships from a healed version of love. So it starts with deconstructing your version of love and get back to how to love you properly. Our vulnerability and willingness to alter our patterns and programming is key. And in our quest for wholeness, love starts with you. And only then can you then expand in a healthy way with others. But the thing is, when you've been sold a story of love, you can want to protect it. It can feel safe to us and a comfort. Take the story we've all heard here. The typical Christian story of love was based on an interpretation of death and punishment for sin. If we believe Jesus was crucified for our sins because God loved us, and as it's been said many times here before, if any of you are new, you might want to go back and listen to some of our stuff online, that the biggest act of love, therefore, was an act of violence. It sounds nicer, doesn't it, saying, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But just like I've said already, we can find comfort in something that doesn't quite add up and strengthen ourselves on a wonky understanding. But if we take away this story of God and God's love, then where does love fit now? Jesus came to abolish the laws and bring a new truth. His truth about love is first about understanding self-love and then expanding that to others. He completely aligned with God is love, so he could become love in the world. And if we take the two quotes, love your neighbor as yourself and love one another as I have loved you, I believe we can see that Jesus has understood his inseparability from wholeness and love itself in its purest form. As I said, I can't define what love is and I cannot put into words what that looks like. But I believe what Jesus did and came to do was to help us strip away everything that love is not. Everything that is creating a barrier within us for pure love to flow. That's what he came to abolish. And what he came to introduce us to was a love that knows no boundaries or limits. Jesus learned to become love. He understood that love isn't just a feeling. It's an everything thing. It's in wholeness at the root of it. It's, in, it's the golden thread that runs through it all. The love is I am. It is true essence of who we are and why we were created. And once Jesus understood this, he became it, and we can too. But in our humanity, and Jesus was human, yeah? Love can expand from this place and becomes connective. Love in connection is where the difficulty can lie, because the only way you can really experience love in connections is to lay down our version of love fed to us by our life narrative and let ourselves be vulnerable to love. That's hard, isn't it? 
especially if you feel you've been hurt. So do you operate from a love that's been wounded or a love that's been healed? Relationships about what we put in as much as what about what we take out. What does your version of love look like? And I'm going to discuss this a little more after an ABBA song break. a bit of a musical interlude for you there. Sorry if you don't like ABBA. Um, the reason I wanted to show that is because I feel like it encapsulates quite well how in relationships in life we play so many games with each other. Because of all this stuff we've built up, we, we tend to not be honest with each other and vulnerable because we're, we're guarded and protected. So it becomes a bit of a game of who's a winner and who's a loser. And, and we fall in love, don't we? And we fall out of love. We love everything about a partner and believe they are the one and it's written in the stars. And we're fed a fairy tale image of what love is supposed to look like. The movies, the happily ever afters and the forevers. But what isn't really focused on is how massively hard it can be to, to have connections and relationships. And when we don't satisfy all each other's needs, then friction arises. And we ask ourselves, was it meant to be and have I made a mistake? You know, I read this week that to live... Um, in a conflict-free relationship, and, and I'm not saying this is what I think, I'm, I don't know, I think it says to live in a conflict-free relationship is not love, it's avoidance. Conflict gets a bit of a bad rep, just like anger and emotions that we've talked about. Conflicts between us simply expose to us something that needs addressing. Stuff will inevitably come up. Even in our process of trying to reprogram our versions of love, there will inevitably be stuff that comes up to the surface and creates conflict. We have to remember that whilst we come at relationships with a version of love, so does the other person. It's a game of two minds. We say, I love you. We make a contract with that person. And when they say, I love you back, they also make a contract with you that... But you know, have you read the small print? I love you means so many different things to everybody. What does I love you mean to you? A close friend of mine found that the contract that she had signed up for what, what wasn't quite what was to be expected. And I remember vividly her saying to me that she was having to learn to love her partner again, differently. Fall in love again or love differently. Remember the languages of love that we've heard about before. Affirmation, receiving gifts, physical touch, quality time, acts of service. These have all come from our versions of love and the contracts that we make in our minds and we expect others to uphold. So, of course, when our contract doesn't meet the right criteria, then things come up and conflicts arise. I heard this quote this week, which I thought was fascinating. Conflict is the beginning of consciousness, which I think is quite true, because without doubt and without conflict and curiosity, these things rising up, how are we supposed to find out what we need to reprogram? In relationships, we bring our emotional baggage. Like I said, in our early programming, we developed attachment styles to specific ways in how we relate to others. Your now adult attachment style is a mirror to the earlier dynamic you developed. So just as you learned how to love or not to love, you also learned how to attach, how to make your contract. We can be avoidant by being withdrawn, quiet, anxious, or ambivalent, 
insecure, unfocused, asking lots of questions. Maybe in your fear you can be angry, depressed, dramatic, unpredictable. Or are you confident and engaged and secure in yourself? In our experiences of relating to people, we may have learned how to present ourselves in a certain way. We learn how to be seen in an appealing way, especially when you first meet someone, don't you? Showing the best versions of ourselves and being agreeable. In friendships, we can keep the peace by holding back our honest opinions. As in the past, that didn't go quite well with us. We can become avoidant of any sort of conflict or drama and be anxious when dealing with someone we feel is better than us. We can make ourselves smaller to appease disharmony or sit on the fence. Or our first form of defense is to attack as we become frightened and protective. We have essentially conditioned ourselves to be a certain way in relating to others if we developed a fear of rejection or hurt. Something that pained us in the past has established in us a right or wrong way to be. Instead of being our authentic selves, we put on masks and versions of ourselves in order to protect ourselves. If, you're, if you bring fear or hurt into a relationship and constantly carry that around with you, then you're likely to only see hurtful things and experience them. If you bring guilt into a relationship, I'm, I know this one, then you will be the driving force. That guilt will be the driving force of how you function in that environment. And everything will align itself to strengthening that. I'm not good enough for you. It's a classic. If you're programmed to think you're unworthy, you won't show up feeling worthy of love. If you're programmed to think you're stupid, you will show up your version of love feeling less than and make yourself less than. If you're programmed to be a fixer, you will seek out needy partners who you can fix. If you're programmed to think love is a sacrifice or I'm punished when I don't make the grade, then that narrative will play out in your relationships. But remember what Joel said. The past doesn't exist. It's gone. It's done. It's not here anymore. So all that remains is our memory of the past. But we can't always trust that either. We will always see our past experiences through the lens of how we felt it. We remember how it made us feel. We make the past exist in our present by reliving it in our mind now, and then projecting a version of that memory based on how we felt then onto now. Does that make sense? It's fine to have memories, but the moment you make them your current reality through a former perspective, you can run yourself into dangerous territory. It only exists in your mind, but we create our own reality with it and then feed that into our relationships. The trouble is, when we bring all this stuff into our relationships, as well as the other person having their stuff, it can be problematic when we're trying to grow. Like I said before, if we don't deal with the stuff inside us, we just strengthen our relationships on a wonk. I loved Joel's quote the other week. We cannot focus on the weaknesses of both ourselves and others and expect it to evoke strength. We cannot focus on the weaknesses of both ourselves and others and expect it to evoke strength. So the winner takes it all. Really, the loser shouldn't be either person. The loser is the issue that has arisen and the negativity it provokes in us. What we really need victory over is the squashing of the past narratives that are driving our current thinking. 
What we need to do in changing our patterns is face the wave of conflict head-on as a team. Your partner is not the wave. The wave is the disagreement. Your partner is not your opponent. In love, you shouldn't want your partner to lose or you to lose, but to maturely act out of love, to grow together and learn from each other. Being engaged in what you can learn from it, secure and confident in your connections. What is the issue telling you, and what is the other person able to teach you, and vice versa? Hear all sides tell their truth. Every time one of you loses, you both lose. Every time the problem loses, you both win. In relationships, your goal is growing together, and that comes from understanding and allowing yourself to be vulnerable. Imagine doing a self-portrait of yourself. What would it say? What would you say about yourself, who you are, how you present yourself, what people think of you, what you think people think of you? Am I kind, generous? You know, we often can think we're a certain way. But what if the person closest to you did a portrait of you as well? What would they see? And I had this, this realisation recently when my niece was visiting, and she's going through a particularly difficult time, and, and she said to me, well, we all know you all let, you know, you just say what you think, and everyone, you know, you, you're quite, you know, assertive and confident in how you express yourself. And I laughed, and I was like, I'm really quite, you know, chill, and... I, you know, I really didn't have the same picture in my mind as what they had of me, and James just laughed. I said, I feel like I'm quite sensitive. <laughs> Apparently not. Um, but what I thought was lovely with that is that when we live consciously, we can be trying to, we, you know, we can be being a certain way, and, we, and we're wanting to be aware of who we are and, and stuff. But what actually happens is, when we live subconsciously most of the time, your partner and the pieces close, people closest to you are probably going to see really what you're kind of like most of the time. And, and, and it was quite interesting having that interaction with them because it made me think, you know, I've painted a portrait of myself that maybe isn't quite, quite what I thought it was. And actually who I really am is a little bit different. And there's nothing like someone close to you to kind of hold up a mirror and show you who, who you project yourself as. Back to Jesus, love your neighbor as you love yourself. How are you, therefore, loving yourself? How are you loving your neighbor, your partner, your friend, your community? And examine what you were doing, you know, examine how you were doing that all the time and how that's actually coming across, because it might not be quite how you think it is. Jesus came to show us love, but primarily to help us understand what love is not. I've already said that. He showed us that we need to drop our fears drop our attachments and all our illusions of ourselves and our past and our memories. He's a beautiful example of when you drop these things, then you will know love. Our programming and patterns can be changed. We change them first by being aware of them and then consciously redefining them. How do you speak to yourself? Be kinder to yourself. Be understanding of yourself. Speak more positively about how lovable you are. We can change the environment of our hearts or our inner state by changing the narrative at play. Uh, Kev referred to a guy called Bruce Lipton last week, and um, 
I listened to a podcast on his, and he did this scientific experiment where he took um, the embryotic stem cells out of a certain part of a body, you, you know, the, the cells that made, made up that part. I'm not a scientist, okay, so just bear with me. And he put them in a, a Petri dish, and he left them. And what happened is they completely reproduced themselves identical in this, in this, in this dish. And there were 30,000 of them. And so what he did is he split them into three, and so 10,000 in each. And in each one, he slightly changed the culture and the environment that was feeding them and that was in them. And what happened is that the one cell that had reproduced itself, just by changing ever so slightly its environment and its culture, it changed into something else. And all three Petri dishes, they all changed. So what was in one thing just the same, when you put it into the others, it reproduced itself differently. And I thought that was really interesting. So I thought, we can do that, like Kev talked about, in manifesting and imagining and you know, rethink, rethinking how we look at ourselves. If you just slightly change the way you think and you feel and you, you project yourself in situations, what you can actually do is start to change some of this programming and create new habitual patterns in how you think and how you feel. I'm just going to show you... Sorry, I've got lost then, got a bit carried away. So practicing self-care is so important. Practice positive affirmations daily. Jesus reminds us that until we can love ourselves, then we can't really love anyone else. So we have to strip back all that stuff I've talked about, the versions of love that you have created in your mind, and learn how to see yourself and others with clarity. So I'm just going to show another clip now. Uh, before I follow on and close. And it's uh, about a, an artist called Marina Abram... Hang on. Abramovic. Sorry, Marina. We'll go with that. And she's a performance artist. And in 2010, she engaged in a performance art piece called The Artist is Present. In it, Marina sat over the space of three months for eight hours a day in a chair while people queued and came and sat opposite her one by one for the total of one minute where they would lock eyes and share a minute of silence. But unbeknown to her, a former lover had come along. I'm just going to show the clip now. I'll stay here. We love to clap, don't we? I don't know what I feel about that clapping. Um... <laughs> This scene has been viewed by over 70 million people who found it very moving. So Marina did an interview about it and her reaction and how she felt um, a little bit after and how and why she believed it impacted so many viewers. And she felt that so many were moved because it is simply so human. Everybody has felt love, separation, hurt, and it was there inflated by the moment. And the reason I wanted to show you that, and I thought about getting you to do it today, but I'd, maybe you should do it at home, I don't know. But um, I went to a, a thing called the Happy Place Festival recently, and a, and a speaker came up, and she was talking about making deeper connections. And I wasn't really vibing with her that well, but what she did was fascinating. She got us to whoever we were sat next to, to turn around and look them in the eye for a minute cringe 
right? For Stan, awkward as anything. And I was with my friend Gemma, and we couldn't do it. We just we kept going, oh my god, this is really awkward, and like just made laugh a bit, made a joke, made an awkward joke, because that's what I do anyway in those situations. And I just found it really hard to just do it. I thought, this is ridiculous, especially because she's my friend. And then the woman on the stage said, I bet you all just felt really awkward then, and you, you, you were worried about what they were thinking or how awkward and comfortable you felt, and you were focusing in so much on that stuff. But yet we all say we want deeper connections and we want to feel more close to people. Um, so she said, I want you to do it again, but this time I want you to completely try and empty your mind of all those voices and all that stuff and just strip back and just look and say to yourself, I am, I am enough. I'm, I am empowered. I can do this. And, and try not to look away. Anyway, we did it. And I thought, right, come on. Game on. So I did. And I looked at her. <laughs> and it was remarkable what happened. All I can describe it as, it was like this intense energy. And we just felt something. Something moved. I can't formulate what that was, but something happened between us. Um, I mean, we both began to cry because it felt quite intense. And what really surprised me was how strong that energy was between us. We do have history, so there is that. But in that moment, we just saw each other. And your eyes, aren't they? The windows to your soul. It's like looking into someone. Our bare humanity in its simplest form just sat, yet our eyes told a thousand stories. And the point is, when we strip it all back, the stuff, the past hurts, the feelings of memories, the illusions, the attachments, and the fears, then love says, I see you clearly as you are. And I think it's only when you strip back that stuff that you can actually know love. And that's why I can't explain it to you, because you just have to know it for yourself. We need to allow ourselves to be vulnerable our bare humanity, to strip away the barriers and masks we have built to protect ourselves and present ourselves as worthy of love. We need to allow ourselves to be vulnerable and laid bare, strip away the fear, strip away the pain, strip away the doubt. What all the other stuff does is paint an image of what we think love is. We think it's attraction, desire, dependency, power struggle, stopping our loneliness, a bargaining of what we can gain or lose. That's really what our versions of love are. Love is not those things. It is not the image you have created of yourself or of others. What do people see when they see you? And what do I see when I see my husband James? Do I see him or do I see an image of who I think he is based on my expectations, my needs, my desires, and my fears. What do I see when I look at God and my relationship with flow? Have I created an image based on my hurts and experiences? That is not a reality, it's an image. I have created based on my perceptions and the stuff I've spoken about already that has built up a version of love in my mind. And I carry it along with me, and I react to it, and I interact with it. And I interact with James based on it. But it is not my current reality, because love can only exist in the now. Love keeps no records of wrongs. 
I see you clearly as you are. Living consciously is to see yourself clearly and see God clearly. So back to the scripture from the start. God is love. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. How does God look like to you? Strip back your own projections onto that and see it truly. Because this way, love has run of the house. So that love has run of your house. So you want to make sure it's right. And it becomes at home and mature in us. There is no room for love in fear, for well-formed love banishes fear. If we look at nature, and I heard this illustration, I thought it was wonderful. A rose doesn't smell or look beautiful because someone smelling it is good or bad or has met their needs. It just is beautiful. The moon in the dark night lights the way for anyone who needs to see. And a tree provides fruit and shade just because it does. And not because it needs anything from anyone. And the ocean, as we heard at the start, provides water for the entire planet. Nature gives love or serves in some way. It just is. And as humans, we love to love because we're wired that way and we love to connect. Love starts with you because it already is in you. It's from that that we can really love and serve others. Love one another as I have loved you. I like Scott Peck's version of love. And he says, love is the will to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another's spiritual growth. He says how love is a strangely circular process and how we can't be the source of strengthening love and connections unless we nurture our own strength and love. Self-love and the love of others goes hand in hand, I love this, to the point where they are actually indistinguishable. Just like our humanity with the divine, we can't survive without its energy, and we don't know where one ends and the other begins. It's a beautiful picture of how the energy of love flows through us and from us. It's about growth for me and another's growth. Jesus taught us to strip away what love isn't. He understood self-love and his inseparability from wholeness. Then we can love others. And love is in it all, you know. It's in the darkness and it's in the light. It's there in it all. For me, that's been true. No matter what I have faced in my life, there's been a love in it that's shown me how to heal in the good bits and the hard bits, in my grief. That's the collateral beauty, that love will help you heal if you allow it to, if you become vulnerable to it, if you become aware of it by stripping my stuff back so I can be more open to what it's telling me. And then love matures us in that way. And we naturally expand like the rose or the tree, we just simply are it and we provide and serve because it's who we are. So let that comfort you, that God is love. Love feels your pain and it rejoices in your joy. It has served in every moment of your life, but lives in your now. It always protects, this is scripture again, always trusts, 
always hopes. I love that. It always protects, always trusts, and always hopes. So for me, my relationship with God is through awareness of love in all my broken pieces and all my joys. If we own our wounds and let them become love and heal, we are more able to share love with others and expand the wonderful, empathetic, wise, good energy into our growth and others' growth. Don't live without it because you've been hurt or you've got a wonky version of it in your memories. Let love be your guide and show you its home. What do you see? What is your image of your partner? Maybe, or your friend, maybe your homework this week should be to sit and look at each other's eyes for one minute, I dare you. And with no agenda or expectation, and see what evokes in you. I'd, I'd really like some of you to try it, because I think you might be surprised. Or look at yourself in the mirror and really take it all in. Strip back the voices. Strip back the what should be. Strip back the fear and strip back the self-doubt. You are loved because you are love. What do you expect of it? And what is your version? Can you recognize the wounds that need healing and the barriers you've created? What's the quality of your relationship like? What is the depth of your ability to love and receive love? Maybe you need to let love have the run of your house. Right, I'm going to close there. I'm just going to finish with a clip from Collateral Beauty, which I feel like explains this quite well, and it's where Howard, who's experienced a great loss and is hurt, meets love. And then we're going to finish with a song. Thank you. I'm done. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. Now, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, then we would love to hear from you. Feel free to drop us an email to info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. Don't forget there are blogs and all sorts of media to be enjoyed at qyork.co.uk, which are welcome to browse at your leisure. Until next time, enjoy the quest.